Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you here today. Our key scripture this morning comes from John chapter 16, uh, verses 7 and 12 through 14. John chapter 16, verse 7 and 12 through 14. Jesus says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. There are a lot of frustrating things that we experience in our lives, but at least for me, there is nothing more frustrating than when something goes wrong with your car. Uh, we've had quite the, um, I don't know what to call it, the ups and downs with our cars recently. As I've told you before, uh, my truck was wrecked in a parking garage by a valet, and it was gone for about four weeks, and I finally got it back uh, after they spent $16,000 to fix it. Um, <laughs> The, the very next week, though, I, and I hadn't driven the car for a while, and as I was getting ready to drive our other car, I got in it, and I pushed on the brake pedal, and the brakes went all the way to the floor. So I had to uh, get it to a shop, and they fixed, uh, they fixed that for me. And then I was driving home from some friend's house on uh, Friday night uh, in the car, and there's this really narrow stretch of road on Bennett Valley Road where basically there's no shoulder, and it's even kind of inside the white line on the outside. And it was, it was about 9.30 at night, and I'm driving this way, and, and, and on the hillside there, it's even worse. Like, there's even more of a drop-off. And a car came, and we passed each other at that point, which meant I had to be as far right as I could. And my right wheels went off the road a little bit, and it felt like hitting a pothole. And then immediately, within the next quarter mile, the light came on that says my tires were losing air pressure. So I got home and jacked up the front side of the car so it wasn't resting on that tire, put the spare on the next day, took it to Les Schwab, and it turns out that both right tires are bent. The wheels are bent. So we have to replace both the wheels, and I found that out. So Nisha comes to pick me up. Uh, at Les Schwab, and as we're driving home, we got rear-ended on Summerfield Road in the car. Yeah, true story, true story. I know what you're thinking. I've always wanted to live that glamorous life that Bryce lives, <laughs> and never have I wanted to more than now. But let me tell you something. In all of these things, you know what really makes a difference? Yes, seat belts, <laughs> but having an advocate, having someone that you can call that is going to help you figure out what to do. Because when we find ourselves in the middle of these things, which are pretty stressful, we don't always think clearly. And, uh, you know, maybe we're shaken up from an accident or maybe we're trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, in those moments, even if we're pretty capable people and have dealt with these things before, there is something comforting about knowing that there is someone we can call who will help us with whatever this thing is. And this is one of the things that is so amazing about the Holy Spirit as Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit here in these passages. As we mentioned last week, uh, Jesus says this thing that I don't think we ever really let sink in, but he actually tells them, I need to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come because it will be better for you when he is here. And, and that's a thought that we don't often appreciate. And it speaks less to what Jesus can do for us if he was here and more to how God planned to use the Holy Spirit in our lives to be our advocate. And in particular, in the second part, he says he will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit will live inside of us and it will help us, it will be our advocate. It will help us to know what the truth is in any given situation. And I want you to just consider that for a moment. The presence of God living inside of us, 
helping us to know the truth. Church, why is it so important that God put his spirit inside of us so that we can know the truth? It's because around us, things fall apart all the time. And the world tells us that God is not there. The people around us say that God is not necessary. Those that do not believe say that God will do nothing for us. But God has sent us a helper to live with us, inside of us, and to help us know the truth. And what is the truth? That God loves us. That he is with us, that he sent his son to die for us, and that through the love of God in Jesus, our lives are changed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, welcome back from break. Uh, I have never had quite so much uh, interested and positive feedback about an introductory lesson as I received from uh, last week's introduction to our study on the Holy Spirit. And um, several of you came uh, to talk to me right after church. I talked to several of you during the week. Um, and uh, about the level of excitement that you feel about how glad you are that we're, that we're talking about this. And in, in particular, many of, you mentioned, uh, many of you mentioned that you wish that your experience with the Holy Spirit and the church had been a different one. Uh, and, and in particular, this is an important idea for us to wrestle with. You know, a lot of us, as I said last week, we grew up in, if you grew up in the Church of Christ in particular, you grew up without there being a whole lot of discussion about the Holy Spirit and about what it does and about its activity in our lives. And um, I had a friend in Antioch, and we would study different things in the Bible and go through different things. And if in our studies there, if anything that we talked about was sort of a you know, a different interpretation from what he had learned growing up or, or didn't quite sound exactly like what his grandfather had taught him, he always had a really difficult time with that. And he would come up to me after any of those lessons or those talks, and he would just, he would be uh, almost a little bit anguished about it. And the reason why he felt such tension was he felt like if we're saying that this is this way, and this is what the Bible teaches. But the people that came before us said, no, it's this way, and this is what the Bible teaches. If this new teaching differs from that, then we're basically saying that they were wrong and that we're right. And it he would say, it feels like if I agree to this, that I am invalidating everything my grandfather believed and taught and said was true. Now, I, I can see where he comes from, and I could see why he would struggle with that particular idea. So I want to share with you this morning um, how I think about these kinds of things so that maybe it can help you if you're having a similar what do I do with this if it's different from what, you know, my grandfather or my father or anyone taught? Um, number one, I, I think it's a dangerous thing to assume that we understand why someone has done something or that we know what they were thinking in any given moment, you know? Have you ever had someone say to you, like, I know you were thinking this, and you're kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. I don't remember having that thought uh, about you, but I mean, hey, maybe, <laughs> maybe you know my brain better than I do. Um, I tend to, uh, the, well, the reason why it's dangerous is because a lot of times when we start thinking that we understand someone's thought process or motivations, I don't know about you, but a lot of times that leads us down the road of assuming the worst about other people's intentions. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, uh, someone accidentally, you see this with your kids all the time, right? How can you tell between my two boys, between Zeke and Jed, if something happens on, let's just use this for this accident, okay? 
was it on accident or was it intentional? Uh, and we spend some time in certain situations. Let's just last night, one of my sons stepped on the toes of his brother. And uh, he said, you know, it was an accident. I did it was an accident. I didn't mean to do it. And Nisha was having none of that. She's like, oh, really? You didn't know that if you stepped on your brother's toes, it would hurt him. Well, I mean, you know, I just was, and we went down this road. But generally speaking, when we start to assume that we know what other people think, it doesn't always lead us down the positive path. It often leads us down the negative path. He did this because he doesn't like me. She did this because she's always hated this about me. You know, we, we tend to go that route. But for me, I tend to be pretty forgiving and optimistic when it comes to thinking about the motivations of other people. And here's why that can help us in this particular discussion. When I ask myself why there has been a more closed-minded view to the work of the Spirit by those who came before us, and especially historically within the Churches of Christ, here's what I assume about those people, okay? Was their understanding potentially different than my understanding is? Yes. But I assume about them that when they sat down to study the scripture and to figure out what these things mean, that they were trying their very best to understand what God wanted for them. I assume that they spent all that time studying and praying and teaching to try to figure out what the Holy Spirit meant. And that was the conclusion that they came to. Now, are we doing the same thing? Yes. And are we hoping that God leads us to conclusions about the Holy Spirit? Yes, we are doing that as well. And we want God to lead us to a place of understanding in the same way. But because I think about things in this way, it frees me from having to fault them or fault myself. If we are all doing our very best to understand God and to serve God, and if we are going to his word and we are praying and asking for God to give us wisdom, then I believe that he will. And that's important for me to be able to move forward. So I want to say to you this morning, if you are struggling at all with this idea that, well, this is different than it undoes this and it undoes that, I want to say to you, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a we're right and they're wrong or they were right and therefore we are wrong. But instead, as we all through history have tried to figure out how to be more like Jesus and to live this life that God is calling us to live, let's be willing to give ourselves grace and them grace as well. Right? Because if you think back, and if you had a grandparent who went to church and you know some of the things they thought that are maybe different from you, let me encourage you to think about them in this way. They probably loved God with all their hearts. And that's what's important, that they loved God and wanted to serve God and did their best to do those things. And they didn't do it all perfectly. And they didn't understand everything perfectly. But I've got bad news to you. We don't do everything perfectly either. And we're sometimes lucky to find our way out of a box, even when the little arrow points up. We are not going to understand perfectly either. But that is something that is exciting about the pursuit we are currently on, is that we perhaps get to understand the Spirit of God in a more dynamic way than we have before. It would be kind of like this. You know, imagine, imagine that you know, you have, you have a grandparent, and I, I had one of these kinds of grandparents, okay? You have a grandparent who was, you know, very um, always known as someone who didn't take any risks, always did things by the book, didn't really have an adventurous spirit. You know, grandma was always telling you what not to do and why you shouldn't do it. You know, I remember my grandmother when I was growing up telling me it was uh, really, really dangerous to put your elbow on the windowsill of the car because a car might come too close and rip your arm off, right? Now, having driven for a while, with my recent luck, I believe that could actually be true. (laughs) 
I mean, I might be at a stop sign and a grizzly bear will come out <laughs> and rip my arm off for me. I mean, this is po anything is possible, people. That's all I'm saying. Anything is possible. Um, but that was sort of how my grandma was. And it would be like if I went to my grandmother's funeral and all of these old friends came out of the woodwork and said, you know, your grandma used to ride motorcycles. And your grandma used to, you know, base jump. And your grandma used to do all of these different things. And it's like, who is this woman? <laughs> like, this is not the woman that I knew. This woman who went on adventures and traveled to Africa and did all of these different kinds of things. And the question that I would have asked myself if that had happened, which, by the way, it didn't, if that had happened was, why didn't I know that grandma? Why did I only know this grandma? And you know what? That's a good question for us to be asking ourselves this morning about the Holy Spirit. Because for those of us who grew up in the church, the Holy Spirit that we know is the Holy Spirit that kind of sits around and waits around and doesn't do a whole lot and maybe just gives us some insight through the Bible, and that's what it does. And yet, when we look back on, what the, on the work of the Spirit in the Bible, what do we see? Like, the Spirit is dynamic. It, it does a lot of different things in a very dynamic and active way. And I, I don't know about you, but if I had to choose between the spirit that sits in the corner and the spirit that moves dynamically in my life, I want the latter. I want that experience. And I want that kind of spirit to be available to me. I don't want it to be something that doesn't exist anymore in the same way, shape, or form. I, I don't want it to be something that doesn't live actively and dynamic in me. I, I want it to be something very different than that. One of the first ideologies that we're going to discuss today, this idea, this ide ideology or theology that people have had about the Spirit, uh, one of the ways that they have explained the Holy Spirit is to say that the Holy Spirit was something that happened in a specific place and time. So the explanation goes something like this. The Holy Spirit that you see in the book of Acts and throughout the letters of the New Testament only occurred during that one very specific time frame. The Holy Spirit did not work that way before, and it basically did not work that way after the apostles, the disciples, were gone. And then the explanation would be that the Holy Spirit takes residence inside the scriptures, which were not really formulated for us until many, 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 many years later. Okay, so that is the explanation in a nutshell for the Spirit's work. But here's the thing. If we actually go back and look at what the Bible says about the Spirit, we find that this is not really true that the Spirit did not just work in one place and one time for one specific reason to get one thing done. That, in fact, the Spirit has been part of the story all along. So this morning, we are going to take a look at the Spirit in the Old Testament. Now, I'm just warning you, okay? We are going to hit a lot of different passages. Um, the Bible app on your phone should be up and available this week. Uh, I don't know... It, it, it has some trouble publishing sometimes, uh, which is usually what the holdup is, but you, it may be available to you right now. Uh, we also have the link that you need to get to uh, the app on your computer through this week. So if you miss something this morning or you miss a passage, it is all available to you uh, online. And we're going to work on getting some of this information out to you in some other ways as well. But here are some things that we need to know, okay? Number one. The Holy Spirit was not an invention that came about to fill this time frame for, after, for when Jesus leaves from that point until the apostles and disciples were gone. This is not when the Spirit took form. It did not come into existence in the post-Jesus world. In fact, it was around from the very beginning. And guess how quickly it takes. <laughs> how quickly? How, how soon is the Holy Spirit mentioned in the Bible? 
Genesis 1, right, verse 2. <laughs> Genesis 1, verse 2 tells us for the first time about the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, this is a pretty fantastic image. It's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around because it's talking about the creation of everything. Um, but I love this image of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, this new place that God is creating as an extension of himself and for his people to live on. And uh, here's what I like about the image. I like that in this moment, right before and during creation, as it's just getting started, it's like the air is thick with God. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the, 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 the air is thick with God. And we are not told very much about the Spirit at this point, other than that the Spirit is there on the scene, um, almost like we're, we just need to appreciate that the Spirit is there taking part in the creative work of God. Um, and then, from that point forward, as we see the creation of man uh, and woman, and we see all these different things happening in humanity taking shape, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament had a really active role in the lives of those who belong to God. All right? Um, the Spirit is there again in Genesis chapter 2 when God created man. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Okay, so Bryce, it doesn't say spirit there, but you know what it does say is it says the breath of life. Now, we've talked about how the Spirit is sometimes described. Do you remember some of the ways it's described? It's described as a dove, it's described as a flame, but it's also described as what? Wind, air, breath. There is a particular term for that, okay? The ruach, the breath of God. And that's what we see here when God breathed into when God breathed into it, it's the breath of life, a phrase that is commonly associated with the Spirit. You even see it again in the book of Job. Um, and when man turned away from God, God felt the tension specifically, and this is interesting, between man and his spirit. From Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with human beings forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. And another way to translate this is, my spirit will not remain in human beings forever. So think about what God is, what we're learning from this here, okay? The Holy Spirit at this point in the story is already living with people, but there's a problem, right? What's the problem? Sin, okay? Uh, man and God are not on the same page. And so the Spirit of God trying to live with the people isn't working very well because they are at odds with one another. Um, so the Spirit is to live in and amongst men, but as man turned away from God, it struggled to find its place. Okay? So that's a lot within the first, you know, six chapters of Genesis about the Spirit being there and being present. So what does that tell us about the Spirit itself? What can we pull out from that? That he was here, okay. What else? He's involved in our relationship. Good. That the Spirit is involved with our relationship with God, and this was intended to be from when? From the beginning. That the Spirit of God would be involved in our relationship with Him. Okay. Uh, think about it in these terms, and we'll get back to this a little later. When, when uh, Moses asks to see God, what is God's response to Moses seeing God? He said, like, you cannot look on me. Why? Because you will die. All right? So understand this. From the very beginning, okay, the Spirit of God as a presence in the lives of humanity is important because God, we, we are not able to be in the physical presence of God. He can't be in, because he is too much. You know, you've seen the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> right? right? We, our, our faces would literally melt, okay, if we were in the presence of God. So it's interesting for us to note, okay, 
From the beginning, God has this idea that his spirit is going to live with us, is going to be a part of our relationship with him. Though the spirit was frustrated, uh, he continued to have a presence in the lives of of God's people, and we see the spirit show up Uh, symbolically sometimes or in different forms throughout the narrative as it continues. For example, uh, we see him symbolically in uh, a couple of different ways in the Exodus story. So the Exodus story is when God delivered his people from Egypt, okay? And how does God first speak to Moses? Through what? A burning bush. His spirit is in the bush, right? And speaks to Moses and sends him on his way. And then when they've brought the people out of Egypt, God's spirit is with them in what forms? The cloud and the pillar of fire, okay? The spirit of God is going uh, before them and behind them as he leads them out of Egypt. Um, So in in these ways, his spirit takes uh, the form of these, you know, these objects that help lead God's people. And in the ministry of Moses, the Spirit actually kind of pops up pretty often. It was understood that Moses was in touch with the Spirit of God, and that the Spirit of God was giving him what he needed. Uh, From Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 through 17. The Lord said to Moses, "'Bring me seventy of Israel's leaders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people.' Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Okay, so this is the first time in Scripture that it is mentioned that the Spirit is on a specific individual. And and that terminology, the Spirit being on someone, is what we're kind of more familiar with when we talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, And the fact that it was on Moses is significant, right? Who is Moses in the big story of God? What's that? The lawgiver. lawgiver. Good. Who else is he? Who is he in the big story of God? He's the deliverer, right? Who else? What's that? He does sort of play the role of helping save the people. Think about it in this way, though, too. Moses is the first genuine leader of God's nation. Okay? If you remember, um, they were in Israel, or they were in Egypt for all that time. They grow and they grow and they grow, but um, they don't really have this sense of who God is and who they are as a people. And so Moses is anointed by the Spirit of God to go out and to become the one who helps lead them, not just out of Egypt, but into the promised land. And that also is symbolic, leading them out of a place of slavery into a place of nationhood, into this place of Here's what it looks like to be God's people. And what was necessary for Moses to be able to do that? He needed to have the Spirit. He needed to have the Spirit of God powerfully upon him in order for him to do that. And then when God says we need more leaders, what is the answer to getting these leaders ready? We're going to give them some Spirit too. We got the Spirit. Yes, we do. Okay, yeah. So... You're going to give them some spirit too so that they can help share the burden of leadership with Moses. So those that are leading the people of God need to have the spirit of God present in their lives. Okay? You guys with me so far? Good. Uh, When Moses spent time with God and came down from the mountain, as we mentioned, he asked to see God, and God said, well, I will pass by you, and you can look at my back. And uh, he comes down from the mountain, and he was glowing. All right? He was was too bright to look at, kind of like me after winter. Um, And this wasn't a sunburn, but it's the idea is that the presence of God was so strongly with Moses, that he literally had a physical manifestation of it. 
you could see God on him. Think about that for a second. You could see God on him. He was glowing in that place. And uh, it's, it's sort of an extension, you know, the Spirit of God descended on Mount Sinai when he goes up to get uh, the law and later filled both the tabernacle and the temple. And it was a frequent symbol of God's presence and a common symbol of the Spirit, this, this presence of God settling on something. Um, Later on, Joshua was anointed with the Spirit when he became the leader of Israel. And when we move into the next section, okay, it wasn't just with Moses and within that time. When we move into the section of the Judges, there was something, uh, we see another like very particular manifestation of the Spirit. So if you remember in the Judges, there is a particular pattern that takes place over and over and over and over and over again. If you were here with us while we were studying the story, uh, I drilled this into you about a million times, but... If you remember, the pattern is they are with God, right? And then they forget about God, okay? Because they were the, things were going well. They forget about God. And then God hands them over to their enemies, all right? And then they cry out to God. God, where are you? Why is this happening to us? God raises up a judge who comes out and helps lead them to victory as long as they depend on God and things go well for a while until they forget about God and the whole cycle repeats itself over and over again. So we see this period of time where the, uh, the Israelites are constantly being delivered and then forgetting and then being delivered. And, and it's like, it's, you know, it's like uh, if you're on the second floor of a house <laughs> and a kid's jumping on a trampoline, right? They're constantly doing this thing, you know? So here's the deal. When the judges are raised up, guess what is one of the defining characteristics of them being qualified to be a judge? The Spirit of God comes on them from Judges chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othanel, who overpowered him. Judges chapter 6, verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the, Ab the Abizarites to follow him. Judges chapter 11, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. Judges chapter 14, verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord, this is Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came on him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Okay, so what is the trend that we're seeing? What's the trend we're seeing? We see that from the very beginning, God intended for the Spirit to be with his people. That relationship became strained. But we see from this point forward, as God is raising up leaders, that he wants to take his people further and deeper into relationship with God, something these leaders must have is God's Spirit inside of them, living with them, empowering them. And it does it in different ways. You know, Samson was a mighty warrior who could defeat hundreds of other warriors on his own. Gideon was just someone who needed to go along with the plan and do things like God wanted him to do. And so God gives him courage to go and do that. But the Spirit is what is sort of the active ingredient to all of these things. And then when Israel wanted a king, guess what the kings had? The Spirit of God. Even Saul, who was not God's choice. It was the people's choice. From 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come on you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Okay, now this is something important for us to, to note here. Um, Saul, you know, if you remember, the, the people wanted a king. God says you don't need a king, you already have a king. But they wanted a king, and God allows them to choose, and they choose Saul. And they choose Saul because he looks like a king. Like, this is a guy that we can send, you know, to the UN council, 
or to, you know, whatever. Uh, we can send him to these things, and people are going to respect this man because he looks like a king. So initially, this is not all God's doing, but God still does something important because this man is going to lead his people. He says, go to this place. You are going to encounter the Spirit, and, and most importantly, what will the Spirit do? The Spirit of God will change you. Okay? The Spirit of God will... Why will it change him? He needed to be changed? Yes. Right. He needed... And and maybe this is one of the more dramatic and obvious examples, but he needed God to fill him up because he was not the leader that God needed him to be without the presence of God. You see that? Like, he had to change if he was going to lead God's people into being God's people. And without the presence of God in his life, he becomes something else. All right? And we actually see in his kingship, he becomes something else. Um, David, in particular, had a very uh, active... uh, he He had a very deep understanding of the active role of the Spirit in, the, in his life and in the life of the people. Um, from 1 Samuel chapter 16, this was when uh, David was anointed to be king eventually. <laughs> so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came on David in power. So it's very similar to what we see with the judges, where he's anointed, uh, but he's anointed by a prophet in this case, and um, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and it lives with him. And David recognized the Spirit of God working in his life in lots of different ways. Um, David's last recorded words start out by saying, from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me, his word was on my tongue. Um, he depended on God's Spirit to lead him At all times, from Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And he knew that the Spirit of God was everywhere, from Psalm 139, verses 5 through 7. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And interestingly enough, when David sees Bathsheba, commits adultery with her, kills Uriah, her husband, is finally confronted by the prophet Nathan, he writes a psalm about it. And what is the request that he makes of God? Do not take your spirit from me. Do not take your spirit from me. Now, the kings die out. But in their place, someone else comes forward who becomes a voice for God, and they are the prophets. The prophets are the very, very popular people who were sent into the cities to tell everyone what they were doing wrong and why they should change. Um, So they were well-liked. Their Facebook pages, they had a lot of friends, you know. Um, And and so uh, the prophets spoke often with the Spirit of God. Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Micah all write about the Spirit of God. Um, But it wasn't just the prophets. Uh, The people as a whole also began to have a sense of the Spirit of God being with them through the the teachings of the prophets. Uh, From Isaiah chapter 63, verses 11 through 13. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them through the sea? With a shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown, who led them through the depths? And this is an interesting statement because this is the people, when they are away from God and when they are not prospering, uh, this part of it actually comes from exile when they've sort of lost their sense of nation. And they're looking back, and they're not just saying, like, why aren't things better for us? But what do they recognize about their current state? We used to have the Spirit of God with us, going with us, taking us, guiding us, and now we don't have it anymore. And what is the question? Where is 
Where is the Spirit of God? And how does it come back to us? From Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 19 through 20. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. Now listen, this is actually really informative. If you have any like practicing Jewish friends, um, I think these two verses actually may give you a little bit of context as to why the Exodus story and the Passover feast in particular are still such important ideas within their collective story. Because the Exodus story really, in a nutshell, captures what it was like for God to deliver them from an enemy, to be with them and live amongst them, for them to be completely dependent upon God, and for God to give them everything that they needed, and for God to lead them even through their own mistakes and things, to the land that he had promised for them. That idea of deliverance, of God living with them, that is still a really important idea, one that is uh, foundational within the Jewish faith. Um, The Holy Spirit, uh, as we see, I think, I think you're hoping to see this, is actually everywhere in the lives of God's people throughout the Old Testament. The leaders who followed God had a spirit in their lives. The people understood that God's spirit was with them at different critical points. And they further understood that when the Messianic age came, when God was going to set everything right, when God was going to restore them as a people, that the spirit was going to be a huge part of this thing. And they were looking forward to a time when the spirit would be poured out. From Isaiah uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. But one of the true signs of the Messianic age was the Spirit would be poured out not just on the Messiah, but that the Spirit would be poured out on all people, on everyone who put their hope in the name of the Lord. From Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Way before Jesus, the people of God understood something that we have not always understood. The Spirit of God was there from the beginning, and the Spirit of God played a role in the life of God's people being God's people. And I want you to just consider something very basic that hopefully you've seen throughout this little tour of the Old Testament. That is this. God's people are not God's people if the Spirit is not present. God's people are not God's people if the Spirit is not present. If they are on their way to becoming God's people, then the Spirit is present. If they are following the direction of God, then the Spirit is present. If they are becoming who God is making them, then the Spirit is present. And if the Spirit is not there, it's a problem. Because I think you could make the argument that they're not capable of becoming God's people without the help of the Spirit. They need him. They need the Holy Spirit to change them, to guide them, to help them know what to do. Because let's face it, people, when we are left up to like our own way of thinking and our own designs and our own ability to figure it out, can we figure it out if we're like the young ladies up here? Well, maybe Give us enough time. We might come up with the wrong answer four or five times. But God intended for us to have the Spirit with us. Why? 
Because the Spirit knows, the Spirit of God knows what it is to be like God, to follow God, what God is thinking, what God would do. He knows, as Jesus says later, the truth. He knows the truth. So there is no confusing the Spirit of God. So what are the conclusions that we can draw? Well, it would seem like if we want to say that the Holy Spirit was really only active during the time post-Jesus through the disciples, that that's not really accurate to what we see within the Bible. Um, the Spirit of God played a huge role, and, and a bigger role than maybe we initially realized. Because after all, I don't know about you growing up, but when I grew up reading those stories, the Spirit being there was never pointed out to me. The Spirit being the presence in those places, that was never pointed out to me. And I think in a lot of ways, the way that we sort of um, glossed over that was just to say that God was with them. Now that's true. God was with them. But that's not what the passages say. They don't just say God was with them. Instead, they say what? The Spirit was with them. And that's something different. It's something different, okay? Um, We also see that the Spirit plays much of the same role in the Old Testament as you see it play with the disciples um, and and with everyone in that post-Jesus period of time. Um, when When you trace the path of the Spirit, you see it living with the followers of God. You see it giving guidance. You see it giving empowerment, wisdom, all of these things that the Holy Spirit later does for people after the day of Pentecost and on. Um, He's God's presence, God's own Spirit sent to live with man, giving them strength and and wisdom. And again, if the Spirit is with you, then God is with you. And I really love that passage about Saul because we see that the Spirit is a transforming agent. We talked about it last week, okay? That when the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, people were doing things they shouldn't have been able to do. The Spirit gave them, empowered them, so that they could do things. And it wasn't, I mean, some of it, yes, was the speaking in tongues, but some of the other things was, like for Peter, the understanding to know what to get up and to say, and to say it with authority and power and and wisdom. From Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 28. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws that you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, those that came before us have explained the spirit. I am thankful that the story of the Spirit that we see in the Scripture is different than the story that I'm most used to. And the reason why I'm grateful for that is that the story that we see is that the Spirit of God living in his people helps his people live with him. Like it's a necessary piece of them staying attached to God, of them understanding God, of them communicating with God, of them being able to follow God. And as wonderful as Jesus is, and as necessary and important as Jesus is, Jesus himself said, I need to leave so the Spirit can come. I need to leave so the Spirit can come. And in this act, what does God do? He does not create something new in the work of the Spirit. He restores the work of the Spirit. Jesus 
restores the work of the Spirit. He makes it possible for God to come live in not just Moses or the leaders or the kings, but in who? Everyone. That everyone who believes in the name of the Lord can be empowered by God, can have the Spirit of God inside of them, that they may know the truth, that they may speak the truth, that they may have power to change the world around them. Amen? Amen. And I am grateful and hopeful because that Spirit is available to us now. Let's pray. Holy Father, I look at the world around us and I know that we have not outgrown the purposes of the Spirit. I know that we have not outgrown the work that you need the Spirit to do in us. I know that we are dependent upon your presence, your guidance, your help in all things, at all times. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to know your spirit and its work in us. God, I believe we already have your spirit. As those who have accepted Jesus, those who have been baptized, those who are saved, that, God, we already have your spirit living inside of us. So I pray, God, that you would help us not to repress it, to suppress it, but God, that you would help us to desire more and more of it so that we too may be changed, empowered, given boldness and courage, wisdom, words, and the ability to change the world to the glory of your Son. In his name we pray, amen. If you have any needs for prayers or encouragement this morning and want to know this God who loves you in a big way, Uh, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.